3: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from
0: housetoports.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we're talking about the rise of products that are meant to help women prevent or avoid rape and sexual assault. And so before we get started, Kristen and I want to offer a trigger warning for our listeners out there that we will be talking about these issues of rape and sexual assault, but we won't be going into them in any in-depth manner. We're mainly looking at things uh, around basically the, just the prevention of rape.
3: Obviously, rape and sexual assault are still issues that plague not only our society in the U.S., but around the world. And there have been a lot of efforts to combat that. And and we should note that, at least according to the Department of Justice, the rates of female rape or sexual assault victimizations does seem to have declined about 58% from 1995 to 2010, uh, from five victimizations per 1,000 women to 2.1 per 1,000 women. But you also have to keep in mind issues with reporting, for instance, uh, like domestic violence. Rape is a highly underreported crime. And even still, uh, by one estimate, there are an average... 237,868 victims age 12 and older of rape and sexual assault each year in the U.S. And some say that's even a low estimate.
0: Right. And so focusing on women in particular, because that is who a lot of these rape prevention products are marketed toward. In 2003, the Department of Justice said that nine of every 10 rape victims We're female. And when you look at statistics from 2005 to 2010, there are a lot of different aspects and attributes of sexual assault and what occurs during these assaults. But overwhelmingly, sexual violence tends to involve an offender who was a family member, intimate partner, friend or acquaintance of the victim. That's actually 78 percent of sexual violence.
3: And that's important to keep in mind because um, as we'll talk about more with a lot of these products, it's more- more targeted toward combating stranger danger when in fact a lot of times this, this violence is being perpetuated by people that we know. Um, so let's jump right in. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of stuff I've never told you listeners probably saw headlines about this when it came out because it certainly got a lot of media attention. Um, one of the most recent so-called rape prevention products um, to come out is a nail polish, actually, that was developed by four male students in the Materials Science and Engineering Department at North Carolina State University. And they call the nail polish Undercover Colors, and it's designed to change color when it makes contact with uh, common date rape drugs such as uh, rofenol known
0: as Roofies. Xanax and GHB. And their reasoning was that these guys said they all knew someone personally who had been sexually assaulted, and it was their hope to, quote, invent technologies that empower women to protect themselves from this heinous and quietly pervasive crime. And for their efforts, they've actually won several awards. They were a finalist at the K-50 Startup Showcase, where they received $100,000 from an investor, and they won... Over $11,000 from a contest held by their school's entrepreneurship initiative for students from all disciplines to collaborate to develop solutions for real world challenges. And they specifically
3: wanted to develop this as a nail polish because they were trying to think of something that women tend to use and wear out commonly, such as nail polish, that they could Kind of used more discreetly than um, there There have been other types of products like date rape drug detecting products such as coasters that will change color and straws that will change color. Um, but they thought that this was an even more subtle type of product, which is why they called it undercover colors. Um, but they're also now, in addition to nail polish, for instance, there are lots of apps being developed in the hopes of thwarting
0: rape and sexual assault and violence as well yeah wired and NPR did a lot of coverage as did a ton of other media outlets about this in fact uh one app called Circle of six was described by Wired magazine as a 21st century rape whistle it was actually developed in 2012 by Nancy Schwartzman who was raped by a colleague years ago and so was very passionate about any efforts to deter from that, to help prevent other women from going through what she went through. And so the app was released by the Line campaign, and it came out of the 2011 Apps Against Abuse Challenge, which is a partnership between the Office of the Vice President, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the White House Office for Science and Technology Policy. So basically... It being an app that uh, whose goal is to prevent or help avoid sexual assault and rape is part of this huge effort by people in the government to just say, hey, we have an issue, we have a problem and we need everyone to help us. We need all hands on deck.
3: Yeah. And the way Circle of Six works is that users choose six trusted friends, your Circle of Six. Who they can automatically alert in the event of an emergency. So they can pre-program their contacts into the app and then press a button and the app will automatically text those contacts. And, and you can decide whether the text will ask for, uh, the, someone from the circle of six to come get them, to call them, to give them advice. Um, and it also connects users to national rape support Hotlines um, and the Circle of Six U is a just recently launched college edition and uh, Schwartzman refers to campuses as petri dishes for sexual assault. And speaking of um, this partnership between the Circle of Six and the White House, the White House has also recently launched a massive, massive campaign um, to target sexual assault on college campuses, and this is likely an extension of that.
0: Yeah, and there are a bunch of other apps out there for this exact purpose. Things like Here for You, which provides resources for victims. Live Safe, which was actually created by a survivor of the 2007 shootings at Virginia Tech, and it helps students track campus crimes. Uh, Then there's one called Kite String. Uh, Basically, you provide the app with emergency contact numbers and then let it know when you're going out alone and how long it's going to take you to get there. And after the estimated time, it texts you to check in. And if you don't respond, it alerts your emergency contacts and not to get ahead of myself. But it's attributes of these apps like that that people have issues with, because like we said at the top of the podcast, so much sexual violence is committed by someone who is known to the victim. And it's not necessarily going to be a situation where you're out for a jog, you're running to 7-Eleven and you get snatched off the street. And so. There are there are issues with some of these apps, but I think, you know, it's generally coming from a good place. Yeah. I mean, there
3: there's one interesting app called Good to Go. That's to the numeral two, because that's what, how the kids spell things these days. Um, but it's interesting in its approach of pre- hoping to prevent rape, but particularly date rape situations by also teaching consent, um, because it's really designed as a sexual consent app for college kids, although let's be honest, it's kids younger than college who need to really start being taught about these kinds of things. Um, But it requires the user and his or her partner to answer questions about levels of intoxication and comfort levels with getting sexy. And it's also deliberately time-consuming. But the very fact that it's tracking levels of intoxication kind of, as uh, Slate's Amanda has pointed out, m- might also mean that it's not quite so handy because if you are super-duper drunk, you're probably so drunk you might not really even either remember to use it or be able to use it. So that's the thing. I mean, there clearly there isn't... I mean, it's hard to say, like, is there a perfect app that could be built because there are all of these kinds of... Um, it's not a simple... Silver bullet kind of issue,
0: right? I mean, it makes sense that there is this technological push from all the way up in the White House to kids in college making these apps because that's that's the world we live in. We live in a world we were where we are constantly on our phones. We're constantly using apps for things, looking for apps that will make our lives easier. So it's it only makes sense that this kind of stuff is being developed. But um, it's also sort of a matter of. What what is actually the best idea here? What will actually help people the most? Are these things going to have their targeted effect?
3: Yeah, I mean, and we should also note that they are being used. Uh, Circle of Six, for instance, has been downloaded tens of thousands of times. Here for You was specifically developed through Loyola University um, for its students and. I mean, I would imagine if I were a college freshman, I would probably download something like this as well, just to maybe have some um, resources at my fingertips. Um, but in addition to these apps, which we will talk about um, in a little more detail later on, nail polish and apps are certainly not the only kinds of rape-preventative products, that's in quotes as well, because there are also things that have been Marketed such as, and this is more of a gag kind of product, hairy stockings, uh, belt buckles. There are um, specific condoms called a rapex condom, um, which has been more developed for use in developing nations. Um, but it actually has this kind of v- vagina dentata style, where it has um, a teeth, plastic teeth built in that will that will hurt your penis yeah. if you are in there.
0: Then there's a terrifying tampon, uh, the woman inserts it into her vagina, but it has a spike on the end. So it's not, it's not preventing sexual assault or rape so much as it's punishing the, uh, rapist. Um, different devices that buzz. Something that looks terrifying, both, uh, in a defensive way, but also, um, I, it looks terrifying to wear there have been developed these armor-like injectors and weird electric shock things that... um I've seen this on a couple of different blogs. It looks like... I mean, it's metal, and the woman straps it around herself, and I'm not sure how you would ever disguise it under clothes, per se, but basically, if your attacker gets you naked, this contraption tattoos him it like sh- injects him with ink but also shocks him i very very scary looking but these are all things basically the creator of that said that he listened to sexual assault survivors who were like i just want a suit of armor and and so it's not that something like the injector as it's called would work or would necessarily help but like so many of these products and apps and things that we're talking about it does have the effect of lending a sense of security, of lending a sense of I'm doing something. But there's also underwear, rape, supposedly rape-preventing underwear. Yeah,
3: um, this was developed by a, a startup called AR Wear, and they launched an Indiegogo campaign, and their video went viral not too long ago. And th- this is a, a line of underwear developed by a group of women, and in their product description, they start off by saying, you know, rape is about as wrong as it gets. And they go on to talk about how underwear won't solve the problem of sexual assault. But it could possibly help women in the sense of giving them more of a feeling of security if they go out, particularly like one example they use a lot is if you are going out jogging by yourself at night and. Um, and the goal of it, of this uh, AR wear, was to create an effective barrier layer to allow women to passively resist an attacker. And, I mean, this is literally underwear that was specifically designed to be impossible to remove.
0: Right. They made it out of cut-resistant fabric, and it has this internal skeleton structure to boost the strength of various elements on the shorts. For instance, they can't be pulled down once fastened. The thigh straps prevent the leg openings from being lifted or moved. And of course, that just makes me think of all the times that I like hold, hold it for too long and like need to run to the bathroom and I'm like, "Ah, I've got to pee so badly. And I just worry about like, would I be able to get these shorts down off of myself? (laughs)
3: That's a good question. Well, and on top of all these things, too, there are more uh, female-only cab services, uh, women-only Uber-like services popping up as well. So clearly something is going on and like we said, a lot of these ideas are coming from very laudable places because obviously sexual assault is still a rampant problem that needs to be addressed in one way or another. However, Almost any time, or I would say every time, one of these products comes out, whether it is the nail polish or it is um, this underwear, which, by the way, it did meet its uh, campaign funding. I think they were fully financed and then some to actually make that underwear. Um, but anytime these products come out, people are usually applauding for a minute. But then people start to ask, well, wait, is this actually a solution and we're going to talk more about that when we come right back from a quick break
2: Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.
0: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree So before the break, we were giving you quite a rundown of various rape prevention products, supposedly rape preventing products. Um, and Kristen was talking about how a lot of people have pointed out that, yeah, these products are, are a good idea in that we should do whatever we can to prevent people from being victims of rape and sexual assault. But are they actually treating the core issue, which is rape culture, which is the idea that other people's bodies are your property to do with what you want? Basically, there's a lot of controversy around this kind of stuff. And in talking about the nail polish, the rape prevention nail polish specifically, Feministing points out that date rape drugs are not used to facilitate sexual assault all that often. They write that while exact estimates vary, it's safe to say that plain old alcohol is the substance most commonly used in drug facilitated rape.
3: Yeah. in a 2007 National Institute for Justice study found that around 2.4% of female undergrads who had been sexually assaulted suspected that they had been slipped a drug. Whereas study after study has shown that alcohol, just alcohol, no rufinol involved, has been involved in 50 to 90% of campus sexual assaults. So that's that's an issue when it comes to this nail polish in terms of, well, how... A great idea. Sure. But how useful and practical is it really when, OK, a you have to figure out like you have to dip your finger into a cocktail and that might be a little awkward and possibly um, gross. And also, even if there is no date rape drug in there, that's not really it's not so much the roof and all that is statistically
0: the problem. Right. I mean, they cite women'shealth.gov when talking about just the issue of using alcohol and sexual assault rather than having to add drugs to it. Uh, the website says that any drug that can affect judgment and behavior can put a person at risk for unwanted or risky sexual activity. I mean, alcohol affects your ability to think clearly. It affects your ability to say no. It affects your ability to, um, remember what is happening to you, to fight back there's all sorts of issues that arise when whether you're a student or an adult outside of college, it affects your ability to function.
3: And so clearly in in those kinds of instances um, telling women well don't drink hey guess what that's not exactly a, a solution either because what is uh, probably a wiser plan is really focusing in on consensual education and really teaching kids, what and I mean kids, not college kids. I'm talking about kids. What, uh, what sexual assault really is, and all of those quote unquote gray zones that can come with it. Um, and even when it comes to apps, and even the underwear that that is more intended to help out when you are by yourself, and uh, like uh, in terms of the stranger danger aspect. Again, statistically. Rape is not so likely to happen because of the stranger jumping out of the bushes. The bigger problem statistically is with acquaintances, with romantic partners, with family members, with people that we know raping or assaulting.
0: Right. And so what a lot of critics of these products have brought up is not only the false sense of security that it is provided in making you think that, oh, well, I'm safe if someone snatches me off the street as I'm jogging. There's also the issue of putting the burden on women alone or, you know, any potential victim of sexual assault alone. And that is both a a mental burden, an emotional burden, but also a financial burden. These, you know, a lot of these apps are free, but not all the products are free. The hairy leg stockings aren't free. Well, and there was one app. It's 1999. And that's not free, Caroline. It's definitely not free. Last
3: time I checked. Um, well, and this a, a listener actually wrote us not too long ago asking for us to do an episode on victim blaming when it comes to rape and sexual assault. And this does tie into it because anytime the focus and the onus is really put on the victim in quotes to protect herself at all costs, then that does feed into victim blaming down the road because you could say, all right, I go out jogging one night and I do get attacked. And then the question is, well, were you wearing your anti-rape underwear,
0: Kristen? Mm -hmm. And if I say no, then is it my fault? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's with a victim blaming culture, it's always going to be the victim's fault in some people's minds. Oh, you were wearing running shorts. That's. Showing too much skin. Oh, but you weren't wearing the anti-rape underwear under your running shorts. So that's still your fault. You didn't check into your app. Although I will say, I like the idea
3: very much of the, of, of the circle of six kind of thing of having accountability mm-hmm. of like no, having a plan of if something does happen, this is your emergency contact. And there's a simple way to make that happen. But I do think that response, taking personal res- responsibility and remembering the power of accountability is different from painting your
0: nails and hoping for the best. Right. And Tara Culp wrestler at uh, ThinkProgress.org and Saraya Chamali writing at Time both talked about the fact that this extreme strong focus on buying products, downloading apps, really... Misses the opportunity to, as Chamali writes, address the systemic root problem that our mainstream culture grows rapists like weeds and also writing at time. Megan Gibson in October 2014, so just recently, uh, was writing a piece about this very same topic addressing the issue of these products putting the onus on women to prevent their own assaults. And she talks about how, for years, quote, women have been adapting their behavior in order to address the threat of rape by altering the way they dress or refusing to walk alone in the dark. And she says the idea that a special product will provide a safety net is faulty and dangerous.
3: Well, and Alexandra Brodsky, who's the co-director of Know Your Nine, which is a survivor-led group, working to address campus sexual assault, um, was talking about all of these rape-preventative, in quotes, apps and products to think progress. And she was saying that a lot of times we do get excited and want to go fund, for instance, an Indiegogo campaign from ARWare because these seem like really simple fixes. But that also frames the problem as really simple as well that could Mm -hmm. possibly be... Solved by, say, nail polish, for instance. But she says that I really wish that people were funneling all of this ingenuity and funding and interest, all of which are great things, into new ways to stop people from perpetrating violence, as opposed, again, into funneling all of that ingenuity, funding and interest into... Giving more women options for just how like all of the things that you could possibly have to um, deflect your own rape, which I mean that's not. It's not
0: really how it goes. Yeah. And I mean, Brodsky goes on to point out that these well-meaning people, these people who are working their hardest to create apps and other products to help women and men avoid sexual assault might actually end up perpetuating myths about sexual violence, because she says, basically, is this app um, helping a, a real student in the real world avoid the threat of sexual assault as it typically occurs or is it preventing some sort of, quote, archetypal rape rape victim from a movie script? Right. I mean, and
3: the thing is, with, especially with those uh, four guys from NC State who developed the nail polish, I feel like they did kind of get raked over the coals a little bit in the media um, for their product, maybe because it received so much attention. And then there were a lot of people raising their hands saying, uh, oh, this might actually not be as amazing and innovative um, of a problem solver, as we might think. Um, and again, though, it's, it's like Brodsky is saying, like it's coming, you know, from a good place. I don't doubt that they genuinely wanted to come up with some kind of tech disruptive thing that would help stem this problem. But it's just indicative of how we are. We have a long way to go in terms of how we even approach it to begin with. Um, but then too, when it comes to these products and services, there has been some increasing attention on, well, what about the fact that these are profit, some of these at least are profit making? Products.
0: Yeah. Inside higher ed looked at this back in August 2014 and said that a cottage industry is growing around campus sexual assault. And OK, we will get more into this, but I do want to point out that, you know, sidebar, it is good that amid the rise of these apps and these products that clearly a conversation is happening, regardless of what the product is, what it's supposed to do. Obviously, sexual assault in general and campus sexual assault in particular are major problems. And so it is good when we can have a conversation about, hey, what can we do to prevent it? It's good that people are joining together across all sorts of industries to say, let's let's find a solution. But that has led people to question what is up with the whole money-making scheme involved in some of them. And
3: it's not so much these kinds of products that we've been talking about um, that have come under more scrutiny, but more companies and firms that specialize in sexual assault prevention programs that say colleges would bring onto their campuses to perhaps implement into freshman orientations and curriculums that uh, Dana Bolger, at least who's another co-founder of Know Your Nine, Um, Told inside higher ed that they, you know, some some people need to definitely do some research before they pay for their often expensive services, because not all of them are created equally.
0: Right. Because basically, uh, a lot of this was spurred following the release of the education department's Dear Colleague letter in 2011. This is Dana Bolger talking about this, too. Um, The letter basically was the government's call to action about sexual assault and telling schools that they needed to step up their efforts. And all of a sudden, schools are like, "Ooh, this is something that we need to take responsibility for and tackle. But how do we do it? And so enter from stage right a lot of uh, companies, a lot of consultants who make their money off of telling schools and universities how to supposedly keep students safe but then you have to wonder, is that eliminating, is that just taking the liability off of the school? That's another question that people have. Are universities actively trying to keep their students safe by bringing in these consultants who charge a fee, or are they just trying to cover their own butts? Right. And
3: um, there also, too, when it comes to the money, and when we're talking more about the actual products, um, the, the primary problem seen with business models being built around this uh, sexual assault cottage industry, which is just like such an intense phrase to even consider, um, is the fact that that could make it obviously um, accessible to some, but not accessible to everyone. And this is actually something that Nancy Schwartzman, the creator of Circle of Six, has publicly talked about having issues with. And she said when it comes to her company that she started up, which is still pretty small. Um, she says, we've never been in it for the money, which I absolutely believe because she built this technology
0: based off her own experience, too. Yeah. And this whole, this all of these issues together are creating a really weird intersection at which people who should be partnering together and fighting for the same thing end up at odds because... A lot of critics of critics, like we're getting super, there's an onion that we're peeling the layers back. A lot of people are saying, hey, feminists, you need to stop complaining about these rape products because... Um, They're helping people and they're meant to help people. And we can't take on all of rape culture all at once. So let's start from, you know, the top and work our way down. Even Rain got in on this conversation. And Rain is, of course, the Rape and Incest National Network. Um, They just want to get the ball rolling. Uh, President Scott Berkowitz and VP for Public Policy Rebecca O'Connor worked on this big report in which they said, quote, in the last few years, there has been an unfortunate trend towards blaming rape culture for the extensive problem of sexual violence on campuses. While it is helpful to point out the systemic barriers to addressing the problem, it is important to not lose sight of a simple fact. Rape is caused not by cultural factors, but by the conscious decisions of a small percentage of the community to commit a violent crime. Which is... I was surprised to read that. Well, and that statement, too, was used
3: by Far more conservative and not so feminist-friendly commentators and organizations to say, "See, mm-hmm. rape culture doesn't doesn't exist. It doesn't exist at all." And um, I, I don't think that Berkowitz was trying to say that it doesn't exist. And and the when it comes to that small percentage of the community, the statistic that they're likely referring to is, um, and I'm not entirely sure where this is coming from, um, but the statistic is that. College campus rapes are committed by 3% of the male students. So it's like the like what we talked about in our fraternities episode of the one rotten apple ruining the whole barrel. Um, but in that moment when rape occurs, no, it is not culture that is committing that crime. However, it certainly perpetuates it. So, I mean, again though, this all, all of this goes back to, to the fact that there is no simple solution because it isn't such a simple problem. And that also raises a challenge too of, well, how do we attack this in a way that it's not so overwhelming that we just throw up our hands and just walk away from it, but also don't oversimplify it. And I mean, in, in my most, hopeful stance i think that while there's so much back and forth going on but i'm just hoping that we are on the path to at least figuring that out more because at least we're talking about it more
0: yeah and the more you talk about it the more people ask questions and and the more like women and men come forward right yeah Well, so there are efforts out there that are sort of diverging from the path of the Harry Stockings efforts to prevent sexual assault. And that's really an effort to sort of go to the survivors, go to the people who either work with survivors or have survived sexual assault themselves to sort of see... What in what ways they would be best served. And so you have um, Innovate Against Rape, which is part of Carnegie Mellon University's Integrated Innovation Institute. It encourages people to come up with creative solutions to social problems. And they actually recently created two apps that get bystanders to help. They're called Night Owl and Spot a Problem. And they were developed after students did a ton of research into campus sexual assaults. And the whole goal is that they're supposed to be more empowered And protect privacy. I think you can. It helps people report assaults anonymously because this whole issue of maybe the person who's being attacked or assaulted is not capable of alerting police, alerting friends. Maybe they're maybe they have blacked out. Maybe they have been drugged. Maybe they just are incapable of taking that type of action at that moment. But when you put the power in the hands of bystanders at the party or wherever they are, then perhaps there could be more success in reporting certain crimes. And there's also
3: um, a software that's been talked about a lot called Callisto, and it's in the development process. Um, and what's interesting about it is that it's being made with input from sexual assault survivors. So it's also uh, seeking to help students by allowing them to file a report online anonymously, and they can also save it to submit later. And they can also have it automatically submit when someone else files a report about the same attacker. So, I mean, it, it is really fascinating to see how technology is starting to wind its way into this issue. And, I really like the idea of getting the actual students and survivors involved in the same way as you have a Nancy Schwartzman developing Circle of Six. I think there's something really powerful about that. Not that you can't have male allies like the guys at NC State working on things as well, but um, I think it is important to actually talk to and get the input of you know, the the people whose safety is perhaps most immediately at stake, especially when we're talking about
0: campus assault. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess I want to know from our listeners whether they have, A, used any of these products or downloaded any of these apps, and B, whether you have or not, do you think they will have any sort of positive effect?
3: Right, because obviously up until now, there has never been a product or a item of clothing or a hairstyle or anything that women have been able to affix to their bodies, whether it's a rape whistle or whatever it might be that has effectively prevented rape. Because if that were the case, we would probably all have them. And what a world it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the big question of, you know, is... How how can this play a positive and effective role into these really important conversations that are happening right now about um, sexual assault, which, uh, again, I beat the drum very much about this. There's so much focus on college, but good God, it needs to start before college. Yeah, I feel like by the time if you're talking to kids about consent, once they get to college,
0: it's almost too late. Yeah, I mean, in terms of this type of stuff, the earlier that type of education starts, the better, especially if it's being reinforced by your own parents. I mean, we could go on and on about sex positive attitudes in the home, the way that your parents express affection for each other and for you and the way that it's communicated that consent is important and what consent is and that you shouldn't be ashamed of your body and you shouldn't let other people have a say over your body. These are all issues that I mean, Kristen, and I could talk for hours on. But, yeah, it's that type of education that starts and needs to start when kids are young and in the home and not when they're 18, 19 and have no inhibitions because they're away from home for the first time.
3: Right. Because no it seems like no product could possibly make up for all of that. So we really want to hear your thoughts on this. And especially if there's anyone listening who might be working on an app or be part of an organization that has a hand in any of this stuff, we would really love to hear from you. Uh, MomStuff at is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast and message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So I've got a Facebook message here from Vivian and it's in response to our episode a while back on women's wanderlust and women traveling. And it does tie into this conversation we were just having about uh, sexual assault and mention of rape culture. She writes in terms of, she was she was initially writing about um, the dis- d- differences between traveler versus tourist. Um, And at one point she says, I think the question you brought up about fighting rape culture style warnings in terms of women traveling alone versus accepting local gender norms and wearing that fake wedding ring is extremely important. I lean toward accepting local gender norms because one, we do need to respect others, especially as temporary visitors and guests. And two, we need to be safe, regardless of how overblown warnings about violence toward traveling women may be. I recently spent three months in Beijing and met the older male boss of a friend, in quotes, who showed me a photo of his wife and understood that I had a boyfriend, and still he treated me inappropriately. Feminism is incredibly important for advancing women's rights and freedoms, and when traveling and being guests in a different country, we should also learn about that country and its social and gender norms, and understand how we, as women and foreigners, perhaps of different skin colors, appear in that society. Thanks for talking about such an important topic. You guys do a great job covering so many issues, and I hope my input helps contribute to the conversation on women and travel. So thanks, Vivian.
0: Okay, well, I have a letter here from Brian in response to our cosplay episode. And, you know, in that episode, we talked a lot about... Um, both the positives of it, but also the potential negatives of, of slut shaming, of body shaming. And so Brian has his own story to share. Um He said, I would just like to let you know of an experience I had. I was dressed in a Jedi outfit for an event being held near Halloween. I will admit that I'm a bit overweight. Not too bad, but sure not Hollywood fit either. Anyway, the main reason I was at the event was to help entertain the families waiting in what was sometimes an hour and a half wait line. At one point during the night, I remember hearing one father lean over and tell his son, look at how fat Obi-Wan has gotten. I still think about that comment every time I put the costume on nowadays. I wanted to turn and say something to the man, but I didn't want to cause a scene amid all the families who were there. I go to cons all the time, and I love seeing the cosplayers there. I never judge them on whether they are exactly like the character they are portraying. I try to make a point of going up to everyone and telling them what a great costume they have. I enjoy your podcast and share this particular episode with quite a few people I know. So thank you, Brian. Thank you for your letter. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address.
3: And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with all of our sources, so you can follow along as we chip chat, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com. HowStuffWorks.com.